0: Resorts, homes, and a newly built hospital have been washed away.
1: Communication
2: is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up in the process. Highest point. I'm just holding on
1: to dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared.
2: Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake up call. People were prepared, and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do, and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people, and they can act accordingly. Pacific kissing was.
1: Pacific, Pacific. Pacific, you follow I must prepare. Pacific
3: Prepared.
2: Pacific
4: Prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up in this episode how COVID has affected Pacific resilience and how you can skill up to take greater control in a disaster, the Tongan village facing a new threat from high water, and what you can do now to be ready for an unexpected earthquake. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So let's
2: prepare. It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure they have a safe shelter and drinking water.
1: Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. The
4: 2021 Pacific Resilience Meeting is wrapped up with an agenda focused on the theme Our People, Our Journey. Nurturing Pacific Resilience from Home. Locally led action and solutions to climate change and disasters from our region. It was a necessary discussion given the challenges of the pandemic that are likely to echo well into the next cyclone season. But as Pacific Prepared correspondent Bernadette Carrion discovered when she spoke with Pacific Community SPC's Regional Disaster Management Specialist, Gina Jones, Pacific-led emergency response was already being developed well before COVID-19 struck.
3: The Pima project has... Uh, initiated strategic roadmaps for emergency management at both the national and regional level. A strategic roadmap is about bringing together those key emergency response agencies to get those to p- get them to plan together and identify their priorities. Uh, now, in each one of those documents that it's been completed to date, there has been a, a priority placed on capacity development, and so that's a space that PEMA is um, obviously working in. So the PIMA member agencies uh, include National Disaster Management Officers, Police, Fire, Military or Armed Forces where they exist throughout the Pacific. Um, But it also, um, also we do capacity development for other government stakeholders, civil society and NGOs. So many of the programs that we run and trainings that we run in disaster preparedness, we not only have our PIMA members, but we have representation from um, government departments. Um, It's specifically for their employees who might work in an emergency operations centre during a disaster. So that's what the training is um, targeted at around emergency management. How is the management alliance helping so far nationally? At the national level, Pima delivered training um, across the three sub regions that you mentioned, so Melanesia, Micronesia, and Polynesia. We did that in 2019. Now, that was a pilot project, uh, pilot program in conjunction with BSRP under SPC as well, so the Building Safety and Resilience Program. And we delivered a pilot of what we're calling the Pacific Incident Management System, along with working in an emergency operations centre. So those two programs went hand in hand together, and they were delivered over a week in each of those uh, sub-regions for the PIMA member countries. So there were about 30 participants in total, and that consisted of face-to-face training, but also scenarios. So the training was tweaked after each one of those deliveries in regards to taking on some feedback from the pilot uh, to improve it for the next cohort. But we also adjusted it for depending on the um, sub-region that we were training in. So um, we wanted to ensure that the scenarios, case studies, terminology arrangements were specific to that to that subregion. In regards to the Pacific Incident Management System, incident management systems are used in the emergency response sector worldwide. There's a version of it in, you know, Australia, New Zealand, the United States. The Pacific Incident Management System is not intended to be a huge, robust Um, mature system, what it is intended to do is give you an introduction to incident management and then you can link into one of those um, larger systems. But PAC-IMS or the Pacific Incident Management System, PAC-IMS, is built around Pacific terminology, Pacific titles, Pacific arrangements with Pacific case studies and scenarios. So we saw a need to introduce this uh, foundational training to give an understanding to practitioners here in the Pacific so that when they're working with others and when they're implementing in their own country it is very relevant and uses uses their own um you know it's photographs it's images it's videos from the pacific for the pacific so this was like i said this was developed in 2019 and delivered across uh the sub-regions it was then uh used again in vanuatu it has been delivered in fiji the intention was to continue to roll that out and then COVID kind of happened. So we adapted pretty quickly and we've built an online version. So now there's four online modules, which are about 45 minutes each. And that gives uh, people the ability to access this training from anywhere. You can. There's also a downloadable version, which you can do offline. So you download it, you can take it away, do it offline, email the certificates through to uh, Pima, and we can make sure that they go into the SPC Moodle learn book so that you're um, uh, results are kept on file. What kind of trainings are given to subregions? Like what kind of trainings in Polynesia, in Micronesia, in Melanesia? An incident management system and and working in an emergency operations center, which is the next set of modules that we're building, are easily applicable to all real life real life scenarios. So you can adjust this system depending on what that individual scenario is. So whether it be cyclone, tsunami. Um, the system can even be used for managing an event, for example, so something like the Coca-Cola games, because all of those elements are very similar when you're coordinating and managing. So it starts with a supervisor or a manager or a con- what, what's termed a controller. Um, it has a planning function, so um, how are you planning out uh, your response? It has an operations function, which is the arms and legs to implement that on the ground it has logistics so what are the equipment the resources the people the things that you're going to need has a public information function which um which uh, explains how you communicate with the public so how are we getting our warning messages out how are we making sure people are um, staying safe and how are we collecting the information that's coming back in from the communities it looks at finance and it also uh has liaison officer function Which is how you link other agencies and other stakeholders into that overarching over the top of that is safety. So it's obviously uh, paramount that you look after the safety of not only the community, but also um, the emergency responders.
4: The Pacific Incident Management System Awareness Course is available online to full-time emergency practitioners and stakeholders, and is designed to provide the basic principles, roles, responsibilities and concepts of an incident management system. If you want to take on the course, or find out if you qualify, or perhaps want to suggest it to someone senior in your area, please contact us here at Pacific Prepared and we will happily connect you. You can reach us via email pacificprepared at your.abc.net.au. That is pacificprepared at your.abc.net.au. And that was Pacific Prepared correspondent Bernadette Carrion speaking with Pacific Community SPC's Regional Disaster Management Specialist, Gina Jones. More from their discussion in a future episode, but if being prepared interests you and you qualify – Why not learn more and do the course?
2: Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising
1: up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. All over the Pacific, villages
4: and even major cities have attempted to minimise the effects of cyclones, storm surge and sea level rise by installing seawalls. Some are expensive major works, Others have been made by hand by diligent villagers with local products, but as Pacific prepared correspondent and Tonga Broadcasting Commission reporter Anasiu Falakayono has learned, some villagers are facing this threat for the first time and are calling for help to meet the challenge.
1: One of the most vulnerable villages in Tonga to the impacts of climate change is Ahau, located on the western side of the main island of Tongatapu a village that often suffers from sea-level rise. It's worse when there are tides and tropical cyclones. The town officer of Ahau Sione Silatolu says it's evident that people are experiencing daily the impacts of climate change because 10 years ago, despite being located on a low-lying area, sea-level rise did not severely impact their daily lives, especially those living on the coastal area.
0: Ten years ago, we did not experience the impacts of sea level rise. And today it's a different story because we often experience about twice or thrice a month the sea reaching our homes, especially our people living by the sea. When it's extreme high tide, it causes soil erosion because of our geographical location. About 10 years ago, we did not worry about extreme high tides or even climate change. Now with the warnings issued from the Tonga Meteorological Services and related stakeholders about the prediction of our village, saying that the sea will continue to rise as one of the impacts of climate change, it is a huge concern for us here.
1: Silatolu has been a town officer of AHA for 10 years now and he says it's clear the impacts of climate change is happening now and the people are experiencing it. But in order to move forward, there's hope the government could improve the standard of the foreshore built on the village, a project to safeguard the people when it's extreme high tide.
2: The coastline at
0: Ajao is the most vulnerable area in the village and sometimes we wake up just to witness the impacts of climate change in our lives. We are hoping the government will help by upgrading the foreshore, rebuild it to make it stronger. Because of its current condition, it does not secure our lives and properties when it's extreme high tide. I know there are better and well-constructed foreshores, such as the one in the capital from Sopu, And there's also one at the eastern district. I strongly believe if Ahau would have well-constructed foreshore, it could protect us and our families. It would improve our daily lives because the current one does not completely protect the village from sea level rising.
1: The village of Ahau often suffers when a tropical cyclone hits Tonga. And when there is heavy rainfall, the village is most likely to be flooded. We've hoped to reconstruct the foreshore, the town officer says. They could only hope for the best, knowing that such projects cost a million and projects are funded by foreign donors. More than 200 people are currently residing in the village of Aha with about 62 households. Meanwhile, the CEO of the Ministry of Meteorology, Energy, Information, Disaster Management, Environment, Climate Change and Communications known as Maidak, Paula Mau, talks about the background of the foreshore built at Ahau. Uh,
2: we have conducted the uh, wide uh, public consultations with the village, um, including the uh, town officer and also the um, district officer. And they wanted uh, an opening uh, in the foreshore to allow the currency to, uh, to go in and out. Um, I raised up that concern you know, with them you know I rather close it uh and then they to uh, the popular public opinion no no no, just open uh the foreshore, and that's uh because they wanted something else uh, like a uh, fishing fish pond uh, inside uh area that's why they wanted an opening but uh, we uh uh having another projects in the same area. Including the uh, foreshore at uh, Kanokpol, because uh, uh, we've been reported, uh, you know, a few damages there. So uh, we sort of uh, we're doing the whole uh, uh, foreshore. We might uh, close it because uh, you know, uh, because of the impact of the sea level rise, you know, so yeah, climate change. But uh, the reason why the foreshore is like that because it was the public opinion. Uh, they needed to open the, the foreshore because it was designed, as I said, uh, purposely according to what the community wants. Uh, they needed a, a fish pond.
1: The CEO also talks more about the impacts of climate change in Tonga.
2: What's visible now is uh, sea level rise, you know, uh, coastal erosions. Uh, you see them, uh, number of uh, coastal areas, um, Inundation caused by the sea level rise and the storm surge from the the other side, uh, like in for more frequent uh, uh, cyclones now. So the the impact of climate change uh, uh, is uh, you know uh, starting to get worse uh, here in Tonga. But um, we are addressing those issues, especially with the uh, financial institutions, uh, broader, especially like uh, the Green Climate Fund. Um, because there are two ways to mitigate them. Uh, one is uh, through going for these uh, renewable energy uh, sources uh, to avoid uh, burning of the oil from the petroleum, and also uh, adaptation measures, uh, you know, building foreshores uh, and other things uh, to combat uh, the uh, adverse impact of climate change.
1: That was Paula Ma'o, the CEO of the Ministry of MEIDAC, talking about the impacts of climate change in Tonga.
4: Pacific Prepared Correspondent and Tonga Broadcasting Commission reporter Anasiyu Falakayono reporting on the newly vulnerable village of Ahau and how they hope to protect themselves against the growing concern of storm surge and sea level rise.
0: Helping you stay
1: safe.
2: Pacific Prepared
1: To be prepared to save your life, your loved ones and your home during a disaster, you need to act now. Here's what to do to be ready for an earthquake. Earthquakes sometimes give early clues they are about to strike. You may hear a roaring or rumbling sound that gradually gets louder. You may feel a rolling sensation under your feet that starts out barely noticeable and within a second or two grows much more violent. Sometimes the reverse happens. You may feel a sudden uh, jarring jolt and within seconds feel like you're losing your balance, struggling to stand up or feel disoriented when you try to move. Your biggest danger during an earthquake is falling objects, and heavy items collapsing. These can be natural or man-made. Think now about safe spots in your home. Do you have a sturdy table to take shelter under? Tell everyone. If you are in bed, cover your head with any pillows or coverings. Identify a safe open area outside where nothing can fall on you. Discuss these safe spots with your family. Before an earthquake strikes, do a hazard check, especially around your home. Is there a way to secure any furniture that might topple over and fall on you or your loved one? Might it block you in if it did? Look for any poisonous, chemicals or toxic materials in breakable containers and move these containers to a storage area away from the main living and sleeping areas. Keep them away from your water storage and out of reach of children and animals. Talk with those who live with you about what you will do if an earthquake strikes. Can everyone get to a safe meeting place away from danger? Does everyone know where it is? When an earthquake hits, it is often too late to make a plan. So prepare now. Include everyone. Make it fun and be prepared. This information has been compiled for multiple official government and non-government agencies across the Pacific and the world.
4: Commission's Anasiyu Falakayono, with everything you need to know to be ready for an earthquake. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific Prepared. You may have heard on a recent episode of Pacific Prepared some of our discussion with an emergency relief charity that has spent more than 20 years delivering aid and support to the victims of approximately 300 disasters and crises, from earthquakes to cyclones to military conflict. Shelterbox is a charity that builds the ultimate disaster survival and recovery kit, often packed down into a single box or bag, so they know the essentials when it comes to survival and recovery. And while they've already told us how crucial it is that we come together as a community to make group plans and better handle disasters, we wanted to know what we, as individuals, can do right now to help ourselves and our families be ready for the worst so capital fm 107 vanuatu's kareem Maher, our ceo of shelterbox in australia mike greenslade about the value of go bags
5: yeah well look as a response team member we we have our our go bags with us all the time just because you've had a disaster doesn't mean to say there isn't going to be another one especially for earthquakes and what have you and we had a team funnily enough in in the Philippines that were responding to an earthquake. And and then there was a, a, a cyclone coming in and they'd literally just finished putting up um, a load of tents in a village. And they decided the best thing they could do is take the tents down again and store them and wait for the cyclone to go and uh, put them back up afterwards. But yeah, look, we, we always carry our bag, which would contain the essentials, things like your mobile phone, your wallet, For us, we we need our passport on us all the time, some money. Those are the real, the absolute essentials. And then there's a a radio is really helpful. If you've got a a battery-powered or a solar-powered radio, something where you can keep informed and, and tune into your local radio station and keep up to date with what's happening. You might want to have a bag with some spare clothes, or if you've got medicines or whatever's essential to you because it's I don't suppose there's one one typical grab bag for us our bags are designed for us to be able to to last at least 24 hours so we might have some some food in there some some dry rations that will you know last a long time uh, a water bottle obviously so things that you are absolutely essential and you need to keep it somewhere where you can get hold of it very quickly for us we keep it on us all the time but obviously if you're at home and you know that it's cyclone season or a cyclone is coming, then that's the time to make sure that you've got what you need. You might want to, you know, take important documents and make sure they're in a plastic container so they don't get wet and make sure that they're accessible because it happens over here as people say, like, what would you grab if your house was on fire? Well, most people will come up with a list of things and then they'll find that most of those things are dotted all over the house. So... (laughs) in australia you have bushfire season it's like well have you got your grab box of all the important things that you might need ready to go and it's one of these things that hopefully you don't need to use it but uh if you if you do then then you're prepared and it's going to make life a lot easier afterwards if you've got those essential documents medicines etc
4: Are there any items that people um, might not expect that they might need? Food, water, shelter, those are the basics. But in in your experience, have you gone out and gone, oh, uh, toilet paper, for instance, or um, scotch tape, anything like that that you might think uh, individuals might not think to to pack?
5: I think most most response team members would have uh, a roll of toilet paper in their bag. It's obviously seen by a lot of people as a a very essential item. You've only got to look at the... uh, the queues and the fights and the, the panic uh, during COVID. It's the first thing that disappears off the shelf is toilet paper. So if you deem that to be an important thing, then yes, definitely put it in in your bag. Things like scotch tape, yeah, I mean, that they are fantastic pieces because you can do so much. I, I always carry um, tape in my bag. You know, you can um, use it to fix your boots if they fall apart, they, uh, tape something else to your bag. Mending all sorts of things, tears in um, tarpaulins, etc. Zip ties, again, very adaptable and lightweight. Ziploc bags, things that that can keep stuff dry in your bag. You know, so protecting things. But I, I suppose if you, you you've got to think about how much you fit in your bag and um, and how much you want to carry. If you have have you are you going to have to walk a very long way, or you know, can you chuck your bag in the back of the car then? You don't have to worry so much about the weight of it. Those real basics, things like your, your communication. Have you got your, your phone? Yes. Have you got your charger? Uh, you haven't left your charger behind because your phone's not much use without a charger. Yeah, those essential documents for your identification because if you're going to receive aid, then you're probably going to have to prove who you are. Some sort of ID card, maybe your birth certificates or whatever whatever documents that you have very worth taking with you
4: self-sufficiency in in pacific and in custom is 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 a fact of life especially in the immediate period following disasters what would be your first step recommendations while while waiting for aid and and i use for example tc harold as an example um obviously there was there was at least a couple of weeks delay in the aid there what what could people have done in those in those two weeks or what should they do while they wait for aid to arrive
5: the the main thing I would I would say is to is to work together. We put a real stress on on teamwork, finding out people's strengths and and weaknesses, and and, and making the most of people's abilities. So community resilience is is obviously incredibly important, and I'm and I'm sure that there's some very strong communities dotted throughout the the Pacific. So working together is really a good idea come together and and make a plan you know shelter, shelter is is incredibly important and and that should be your number one priority shelter clean water if you've got access to to food how can it be preserved you know i know I've often with, with cyclones and you might lose all your coconuts as well have you got food stored is it safe from water incursion or pests get together and and make it make a plan and sort of say okay well what how long do we reckon it's going to be before someone turns up and like i said in vanuatu some of those people said that this was the first day they'd seen in three months so they're obviously very resilient communities already pulling together just means that they're looking after the most vulnerable in their in that community and look and we we see that all the time we we do see that all the time that People are incredibly generous of, of spirit. They, they understand that the, the old lady down the road who doesn't have any family is probably going to need some help with finding shelter and, and food, etc. So, So pulling, pulling together, I think, is probably the most important thing that communities can do.
4: So the message there, shelter should be your number one concern ahead of disaster. Will you have a home or at least a safe place when the disaster is done? but also that one of the Pacific's greatest strengths is also one of the things most vital to our survival. Community, sticking together, supporting each other. But that means preparation, not just action once the disaster strikes. Capital FM 107 Vanuatu's Kareem Mayher, speaking with the CEO of Shelterbox in Australia, Mike Greenslay. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, PWFM, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Consider starting a conversation with your family, your community, your co-workers and think seriously about creating a go-bag. We want to help you make the next disaster less disastrous. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who've provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney and we'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you've learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared.